This is Off the Leash with Jeremy and Patty, a podcast that encourages you to tap into your inner warrior and eradicate your self-limiting beliefs. OTL is an ever-growing tribe of individuals who refuse to be complacent and through the power of human connection, push the limits we set upon ourselves in our efforts towards self-development. What's going on, Off the Leash family? We are back with episode number seven. OTL fam, we're here. It's Jeremy. It is it's your boy, Patty. And we have a special guest in the house featured guest number two it is paul paris paul paris in the house and we'll welcome get to- paul yes Hi, welcome. how are you guys doing well nice tea uh, up though thank you yes, yes. <laughs> uh and we'll get more into mr paul paris in a moment but uh want to give a shout out to our sponsor tangelo and tangelo with nearly 10 years of experience and hundreds hundreds of five-star reviews, Tangelo Health is the number one place to go for anyone suffering from an injury or looking for the best team to help get out of pain and off the leash, gain the tools to stay out of pain. From plantar fasciitis to headaches to back, knees, shoulders, elbows, neck pain, Tangelo has been Seattle's trusted experts since 2010 with their innovative, integrated approach to care, uplifting experiences, and award-winning culture. Tangelo will be on your team. Find out about their Seattle and Portland clinics online at tangelohealth.com. And don't forget to mention Off the Leash when you go in to get some free swag. And if you sign up, they will give you a care package. So, yeah, so super excited about Tangelo being on board. And I uh, had a couple people go in there using Off the Leash. Uh, and if you don't know who Tangelo is, in our previous podcast with owner Sean Masters, uh, he is he's the owner, but I've known him for a couple of years. Just a great guy all all around, and uh, they deserve your business, and they will take great care of you from personal experience. So, Tangelo, check him out. Yeah. If you need a fix, hit him up. Yes. But, yes, back to Mr. Paul Perez uh, we have in the house, and super honored to have him. Known him for a really long time, and uh, always looked up to him as a, a friend, but also as a businessman, and he is the founder and CEO of Accelerated Breakthrough, and he does certified training and executive coaching, consulting, uh, as well as speaking, and he is also a retired naval officer. Uh, so he's got all the things under his belt. Uh, and that so just, just means I'm old. Quite, quite a list there, I, In Paul. fact, I, give me the number for Tangelo when you're done. Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can hook you up. He's like, whatever that was, that sounds good we to me. The- I got seven of those symptoms right now. We got the plug. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, so good to have you, and yeah, good uh, to be here, guys. And just have a lot of respect for you. And one of the things that we we care a lot about, and the people that we associate ourselves with, and the people we bring on board, are people who have learned to have excellence across every area of their life. You know, I, we found um, just through our own research and reading books of high achievers, uh, and you find people who are on one at the extreme or the other, they're able to achieve great things in, in business, but they've had, you know, three divorces or never see their children or, or you have somebody who is, you know, on the, on the flip side, who's scared to go out and do the things that they feel called to do, um, due to, to fear, but just to find people who have constantly pushed levels and pushed limits and, um, especially somebody like yourself who's done that while pulling out the gold and others as a, as a job is super intriguing. So, um, super good to have you, uh, on board. Yeah. Thank you. Honored to be here and, uh, looking forward to seeing where this fledgling endeavor enterprise of yours is going to go. <laughs> it's just, we are too. So yeah. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's, let's talk a little about you. So, um, let's go into the depths of, of how you got here. Uh, maybe where you where you grew up and and kind of we can go from there and and see where the the story takes us. Yeah, so I I might be the only guy that you've interviewed yet out of 
How many? <laughs> There's only one other person that's <laughs> a special guest. Yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> you're an honored guest in so, the house. So I'm from Guam, born and raised in Guam, an island that's about almost 6,000 miles from here in the Seattle area. Um, grew up in a in a uh, in the heat and and did a lot of things that a lot of island boys would do. I know Patty and I were talking earlier. He's from Maui, so shout we, out to the island boys. Yeah, we island boys. <laughs> we're in here. We island boys get that. it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but interestingly enough, you know, I I think you could characterize characterize me at the time as a big fish in a little pond in terms of achievement, work ethic. Uh, desire to grow. Um, long before I heard what Carol Dweck taught about the growth mindset, I, I kind of had that, you know, that growth mindset. And although in many ways, a lot of opportunities were handed to me as a young boy on the island for, you know, scholarships with lots of money and opportunities, I knew that if I stayed on the island, I wouldn't grow. So uh, where do you think I, you got that belief? Like, where do you think that yeah. like innate kind of feeling came from? My mom was actually a huge self, you know, learner, entrepreneur, tried many things. She always had the books around the house and the tapes. She listened to Earl Nightingale before I, you know, even knew who Earl Nightingale was, introduced me to some of the works of Napoleon Hill, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. she always had these books around the house and was, was as best as she could offering opportunities to help us to develop that growth mindset. And so when I was in the seventh grade, my dad and I were out throwing the ball. And where I lived in Guam, we lived right under the flight path for the international airport hmm. and, and also for the Naval Air Station. So Guam, of course, a lot of people know of Guam because of the, the vast military presence. And it's still <clears> the case today. It's a very strategic place in the Pacific. But um, one day there was, I mean, Navy aircraft and, and commercial aircraft used to fly over my house all the time. And one day my dad and I were out throwing the ball and he looks at me and says, hey, uh, it was really a bolt out of the blue. Honestly, he just looks at me and says, uh, what do you think you want to do when you grow up? And and I had the ball. I was ready to throw it to him and I put it back in my glove and I pointed up in the air and I said, I'm going to fly one of those. And, you know, I heard years ago that you're you're hung by the tongue, right? You know, you say something, you make a declaration, and then and then all of a sudden something synaptic happens and changes the whole course of your of your life. And I pointed up, and it was a P-3 Orion aircraft, mm. which is uh, uh, a Navy aircraft, land base. It's too big to land on carriers. And um, uh, I looked at it, and I went, oh, man, really? I— I want to fly jets, <laughs> you know, this is big four engine turboprop, but, but that set me on a course. It awakened a dream in me to become a Navy flyer. Mm. So what are, what are other children like growing up on Guam? Is there a typical route that most children go towards or is something that you did something pretty rare or do most people leave the island and become something else or? yeah that's a great question i i would probably say it's you know the the ratio of people now you got to realize i grew up in the 80s right 70s and 80s um and so i would say probably about half to two-thirds of people would go per, pursue college education it, college was already in vogue okay. you know when i was when i went through at that age so it was one of those things where it was kind of like a uh, a degree of success would have to be achieved by going to college because I was a good student, the expectation was always on me, especially as the oldest of four, that I would go to college. And 
thankfully, it actually lined up with my dreams and aspirations and, and career desires, which was to become a Navy flyer. You can't be a naval officer uh, through the traditional path unless you go to college. Somehow you go, you go to college and you go to OCS or you go to ROTC, which was my path, or you go to one of the service academies like the Navy, you know, the Naval Academy in this case. So, yeah, it's, it was fairly, what I did was not super uncommon. And I know that we've, we talked about it briefly when we were um, meeting before this podcast and kind of going back where I, I went and left the island and went back and now I'm back. Do people kind of go back and forth? And you've stayed on the mainland, I guess, quote yeah. unquote, since you left. Do, do a lot of people go to college, then go back to Guam and, uh, and live, a, you know? I would say I would say a fair amount yeah. to do that. Uh, my path was kind of chosen for me in, in many ways. I fell in love with a beautiful Holly girl okay. in college. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, her family, she grew up in Florida. Okay. And, and then, of course, I had, you know, my Navy career ahead of me, right? So that really laid out the dictates for where I would end up in terms of uh, geographic locations. And what are the things that you think you learned through the military that you wouldn't learn otherwise? Yeah, this is this is really a fantastic question because in the military, this there's just a different way of thinking, and, and we call it code, right? Anybody who's in the military, regardless of which service, will understand code. There are just certain things that you do and don't do, and certain expectations from a from a bred into your DNA standpoint, and one of those is leading. Mm. Uh, I took it for granted. There are things that I learned in my early 20s, early 20s, that as I go out now and I coach some very high-powered people in, in big corporations, I, I, I've executive coaching, I've coached people in big corporations, huge nonprofits, medical systems that are like the largest in the country, uh, Fortune 100 companies. I've also coached at nonprofits and and small family-owned businesses, that kind of thing. You know, little community credit union type of things. But one of the things that I took for granted that is practiced in the real world that really isn't practiced very well is leadership and and what it is, what it looks like in boots and overalls, and how it informs decisions that you make every day about succession, uh, developing people, that kind of thing. And there are things that I'm teaching people that are in their 40s and 50s now that I learned in my 20s that have that are catapulting their careers. And Hmm. I just took it for granted. Totally. So if you could if you could wave a magic wand and put like one installation of like one, you know, factor of leadership into every single person. Like they could really understand, wrap their mind around and implement. What do you think like that one thing that you would choose would be? Yeah. So, so the miracle question, right? Um, by the way, that's a good coaching question too. We use that in coaching as well. Uh, it's actually something that even in my military life wasn't really taught very well. So we're getting into kind of the, the deep, deep arcane secrets of, of leadership. And I believe that true leadership can only be accomplished in a place where, where there's, there are healthy people. Hmm. When I say healthy, I really mean not just, not just you know, physical health, right? Taking care of yourself, stewarding your body, what you eat, how much you work out, that kind of thing, but really emotional health. In fact, I, I really believe that if I could have, if I could wave that magic wand 
and be able to go into an organization and do what I really believe I'm called to do. It's, it's to heal the soul of the org. Mm. And I use that word org very specifically because uh, through a lot of prayer and meditation over, over the last few years, really trying to discern what is, the, what is the unique DNA of my calling as an executive coach as opposed to others. I received in, in prayer uh, a, a download that organizations are made up of organisms, and those organisms are people. And if you know how those people are supposed to work according to the OEM, right, the original equipment, the manufacturer's code, if you know how people are supposed to operate and you obey and respect those rules, then you will have unbelievable organizations, Hmm. basically frictionless organizations because fear is dealt with. Shame in the workplace is dealt with. And and, uh, guilt, you know, the offloading of guilt those kinds of things. And then those are replaced with, you know, the, the healthy, what we now call EQ, but for many, many millennia really has been known as things like fruit of the spirit or, or you know, how we conduct ourselves in, in companies. So if I could wave my wand, um, I think I would, I would turn that world upside down from being a place that, that fear, shame, and guilt rule the day to what I would, I would call now like the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, where these places are places of hope instead of places where people are wondering most every day, when's the next shoe going to drop, right? Or what's, what, what's, what's waiting for me around that corner where people know, I know you've got my back, Jeremy, and I know you've got Patty's back and Patty's got my back and we're, this is how we operate every day. So I don't have to be afraid to open my kimono in front of you because you guys got me, right? I would Mm -hmm. love to see the American workplace and even our, even our government, you know, that's the area that I'm called into is to coach in the corporate slash small business sector and then to work with government leaders to, to try and quell some of the insanity that we're seeing on a daily basis because people are operating under very strong, destructive, negative emotions instead of the fruitful emotions mm. that breed life. Yeah, and I think that's that's so on point. It's something we've, me and Patty have talked about at length too and some on the podcast is that like even when you're coaching, say physical thing like Patty puts up um, like online training programs mm-hmm. and like when you're checking in as a coach, like most of what you're talking about has nothing to do with the physical. Boom, you know, boom. And, and so I know for me, for me personally, one of my like greatest goals as a coach or instructor as as a human being is to be the best at connecting the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects right. of somebody's life, you know, Bingo. and even if it's, you know, I'm sure you've, you've experienced it too. Like most people are just not aware that those other factors are at play, you know, um, they sing something that's like right in front of them, but they're missing one of the, those other mental, emotional, you know, spiritual factors. Um, and yeah, cause I think that's, it's so key if people are searching for like that identity, like they know that they want to feel some way or be some way, but they just have no idea how to get there, you know? And, and that's the, you know, the power of, of vision. Um, so I'd like to talk to you about kind of vision and creating vision for people and with people and just the power of like imagination. Um, so what, what do you think like the greatest <clears throat> impact you have going into somebody and helping them create vision for themselves or for their company or yeah, would be, 
Well, actually, this goes back to another conversation I had with God, right? Uh, when he called me into executive coaching, I received that call in July of 2008. It was very specific. It was after a really heavy period in my marriage where, where we hit year 20 and a lot of stuff started hitting the fan. And my wife was like, hey, you know, we got to get this stuff figured out, right? You go figure your stuff out. I'll figure my stuff out and we'll figure out how we can make this thing work together if, if it you know, if and when we get there, right? I'm, I'm really truncating this. <laughs> but thankfully, after after about a five and a half month, uh, let's call it a real rough patch. This was, was from the beginning of 2008 until about mid-May 2008. Uh, right around the time, actually, of our 20th anniversary, things really started getting better. Well, I, I was retiring from the Navy on September 1st that year, and I had done nothing to look for a new job or to set the new course for my career. I put everything I had, every ounce of energy. You want to talk about intentionality and drive. Everything I had went back into saving my family, hmm. getting my marriage right, getting, well, actually getting me right so that I could be right in my marriage and then allowing my wife an opportunity to see that I truly had changed, right? Uh, and then also reconciling with my sons who were, 11 and 8 at the time, and very angry with me for a lot of good reasons. Uh, so anyway, I did nothing to prepare myself for this next level of the career, what was next. And so uh, in July, I got home from church one day, a beautiful July day. I was standing in my office. I didn't even have a shirt on. It was so warm. Uh, this is my home office. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so you got to let it go it in the workplace. It was right across the hall, not my Navy office. It was right across <laughs> the hall from my, uh, uh, right across the hall from my uh, master bedroom. But anyway, um, I just, I just said a prayer, <clears throat> which is a common theme in my life, right? If you want to get guidance, it's really good to go to the main source of guidance, at least the best source of wisdom. And so I said, okay, um, we call you Lord because Lord means you own us. So I'm acknowledging you own me. Thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you that things are going so well and that you helped us make the changes we need to make through this hard process. I said, I have no idea what to do with my life. I'm retiring in a month and a half and I have no idea what to do with my life. And this is probably a little bit before your time. Maybe you guys were little kids. Uh, when you when you uh, saw this, but these you know those those red dot matrix scrolling signs, the electric mm -hmm. electronic signs that say you know like a Chick Fil A now serving twenty six that kind of thing. Uh, I saw it. It just the the word scrolled up into the into the frame of my my mind, and it said executive coaching. So I said, okay, executive coaching. So I did what any good spirit food Christian would do. I went and I Googled it, right? <laughs> What's executive coaching? And the deeper I got into that rabbit hole, the more hooked I, I got. I said, I, I said, this is it. This is it. I mean, I didn't just go hang out at Shingle, right? And if, if any of you remember what happened in 2008, it was not a good time in our nation's economy. So I actually, after retiring from the Navy, I worked for a few months for a company that shuttered all its West Coast operations, and I was unemployed for 19 months. So I used Super that Super ideal. Yeah, right? <laughs> hey, but you know what? I, I got to tell you, um, it's those quiet times that help you to be still and know. 
right? And to, and, and to really do a strong evaluation of what were the crutches of yesterday that will no longer serve me at the next level in the next season. And I'm going through a similar time like that right now in my life. And it's, it's very revealing. But here's the thing. I can look back and say, oh, been there, done that. It's true. He never has left me or forsaken me. And he ain't going to do it now. Right? And so through my, so I went back and I started my master's program, getting my executive coaching certification. Thankfully, the VA just rolled out a new program, the Veterans Administration, that covered all those costs. So I could do that uh, debt-free. They paid for everything in a time where I just, I had zero income except for my retirement income. I had this nice big six-figure income and it went down to this, you know, little residual income, which is, at least it was residual, right? We weren't going to be homeless and we were still going to eat, right? Um, so, but but the, the organization thing, uh, I was listening to a, a podcast with two other guys who are really famous in the podcast space, Michael Hyatt and uh, Ray Edwards. And Ray Edwards is a copywriter out of Spokane, very famous in his space. And of course, Hyatt, nobody, you know, I don't need to explain who Michael Hyatt is. And um, Hyatt asked Edwards, Ray, what is the secret to writing good copy? And Ray Edwards looked at Michael. I guess he looked at Michael. I was listening to it audibly. But he said, I endeavor to join my prospect or my prospective client in the conversation they're already having with themselves in their own mind. And that to me was like a zinger. I was out doing some landscaping work and, and just working with my hands, which is when I get most of my downloads because I work in a very cerebral world and I grew up working with my hands all the time. And I just, when I'm doing manual labor, I get so many downloads. I love it. Working out is one of those two. I, I always listening to something or when I'm, when I'm PTing, right. Physical training in the military parlance. Um, so I, I held on to that. And I was, I was regurgitating that and tossing it around and just letting it swirl in my mind. How do I make that saying a part of my DNA to join people in the conversation they're already having with themselves in their own mind? Hmm. I went in, got cleaned up, and I was standing again in my home office without a shirt. That might, that, <laughs> that might be a theme there. Um, but uh, I really felt like, like the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit actually he and I have this strange, unique relationship, right? And I just really felt like he shoulder-checked me. I, I've never played hockey, but you know how in hockey, guys shoulder-check each other really hard, and it kind of wakes them up or it knocks the puck out. And, and uh, I just got this shoulder-check on my right shoulder. I felt like, boom. And, and the, the still small voice said to me, uh, you like that, huh? And I said, yeah, I like that a lot. She said, you like that? That's pretty clever, huh? I said, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to weave that into my messaging for my company and how to make that in my DNA. And I really felt like the, the still small voice said to me, hey, uh, I, got, I got something better for you. And, and you want to hear it? I'm like, what? yeah, absolutely. I want to hear it. I mean, like, you're God. Tell me, what, what's this better? And he said, instead, he said, that's, that's for Ray and Michael. And, and that works for them. But here's what I want you to do. Instead of joining 
the prospect or the prospective client in the conversation they're already having with themselves in their own mind. I want you to join me in the conversation I'm having with them. Hmm. And I will invite you into these conversations at a specific time and place where you will intersect their lives. And there will be a time when I will invite you out so that your ego doesn't get wrapped up in it. You'll know that you were invited in and there will be a time where you will get invited out and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be all butthurt about it or wondering who's rejecting you. Just move on. So I didn't forget your original question about vision. And this is why it's so important. Oh, and and a part of that, that same conversation about being invited in and out is that in the time that I'm going to be able to walk alongside those people and be in that three-way conversation, my job would be to be as a translator. I would say, I, I would get to know them, find out what's on their heart, dreams, history, that kind of thing, and interpret what the words are from heaven, so to speak, and say, this is that, this is that, this is that. This is the kingdom equivalent of that. This, this is what's, what's happening here is, is being ordained and actually has been from before the foundation of the earth. And this is how it plays out. And then to explore with them, right? So that's really critical and key to how I help people discern vision. It's not my vision. It's theirs. Mm. And my job is to serve as an interpreter or a translator. My job is to ask a lot of questions and, and, you know, there's a guy that I know you have followed over the years, a guy named Bill Johnson, I think was the guy I heard say this, that it's not hard, it's not hard to find dirt when you're looking at people. That's our chemical composition. But boy, if you want to see gold, you really got to mine, right? Mm. And it's, it's, it's not easy, but man, it's so rewarding when you see people's lives light up and you help them create breakthroughs, synaptic breakthroughs and, 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 you know, the whole neuroplasticity thing where they're, even if they're older, everything can and will change like it did for me. Like it's done, you know, like it's happened for a lot of people. Mm. Does, does that? No, it's, that's totally exactly on point where yes. I wanted to go. That resonates a lot. And, uh, probably just, just met you too. And I, you know, picking up on your story and the life that you're living now is coming from an Island too, yeah. just like nine day. And I picked up on something that you were just saying and I, really wanted to pry a little bit more into it and you're, you know, backtracking to when you're talking about about five to six months that you were kind of rekindling your marriage with your Mm -hmm. wife and and reconnecting with your children and stuff like that. And you said that you really couldn't help them until you helped yourself. Yeah. And I was really just kind of curious who was Paul then and what was the footwork that you were doing during that time that ultimately brought you now to tenfold to where you are today. So like, seemed like that was a very pivotal point yeah. in your life. And just what was it, what was the feelings like that you were feeling during that time? And what was that work that you were doing that was working on yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> so it's, I, I say this often to my coaching clients that our greatest strengths overextended or overexaggerated very often and almost always become our greatest liabilities. Right. And so, uh, I have all my life been a driver and a doer drive, drive, drive. And uh, the family life that I grew up in was quite chaotic for a lot of reasons. 
uh, and, and reasons that weren't even really my parents' fault. But, I mean, anybody who understands neuroscience <laughs> and EQ and the underpinnings of, of the roles and the effects that primary caregivers and home, you know, families of origin play in the persons that you become, right? It's like, uh, this is a very raw characterization, but like 50% of our development is, is genetics, right? And then the other 50% is what you would call epigenetics, which is the cultural and environmental factors that, that actually get woven into the DNA. This is why I very specifically say things like getting that into my DNA because it's possible, mm. right? And for foul or clean, stuff's going to get in there. Right, so I was I, I I was the oldest of four, was given far too much responsibility for being a parent at an early age, uh, and I think the prevailing belief system that I had was that if I don't hold this thing all together, it's going to fall apart. And it's the stories that pertain to where that belief system came are far too numerous for for the scope of this podcast. Uh, nor necessarily are they appropriate for right now. But the prevailing belief system was if I don't hold this together, it's going to fall apart. And so I brought that level of insecurity. And, and, and by the way, it was a good thing that I felt like I could come and shelter my siblings, that I could come and hold things together. That was responsibility standing up and saying, I'm here to help. How can I help? What can I do to help make this right? But when you OD on that, then it turns into control, manipulation. And it's all out of a spirit of insecurity. And that was what ruled and reigned my life. And as my wife, who is diametrically opposite, right? We say opposites attract. It's very true. But in every typology, if you, whatever different assessment you'll take, and just in behavior, she was my diametric opposite, right? The, the old Hebrew word that they use in Genesis when, when Eve was pulled out of Adam is, is Ezer Konegdo, which actually means, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it, one of the nuances of that Hebrew word is counterbalance, right? That's why she completes me. and We, we complete each other. We counterbalance each other to keep things in balance, right? Well, as I got more... Uh, as, as I filled the room more to try to bring that sense of balance and, 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 and security out of insecurity, that, see how messed up that is? <laughs> she would retreat more. And we got more and more out of balance until the wheels just came off. You know, it's like a wobbly wheel, blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? So it just came off. So that's who I was. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so like, and then, like, so we always talk about like getting in the trench and stuff. So, how, how, what was the, some of the, just some of the small footwork that you kind of hit the pavement with? And was there like daily routines or was there just, oh, some, yeah. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. A lot of prayer. Uh, I, of course, you know, as, as, as we can, all of us need, right? I, I submitted myself to the authority of, of uh, other men specifically who had more wisdom than me. And I even went to counseling to understand what was going on in this human mechanism, right? That was really kind of like the beginnings and the underpinnings of, if, if I could say there was one period in my life that actually informed most about who I am as an executive coach, it's that six-month period where, where I hadn't, I mean, I'd heard the word emotional intelligence, which we call EQ, once. 
once. I was reading a Robert Kiyosaki book, and he said he was talking about wealth development and, and, and that kind of stuff. And he pointed to the fact that people might have the smarts and the cognitive abilities and even the, the drive to become wealthy, but if they don't have the EQ, then they can't create a breakthrough or keep it. But that was it. That was the only, I mean, just that, that little reference to emotional intelligence was the only thing I knew about emotional intelligence. But that six months that I was in that, in the trenches was really the whole, my, my love lab, so to speak, of where I learned what EQ really was. And this is why I, I draw the equivalency, of course, to the ancient text, which is the fruit of the spirit. So here is where it really turned around. So I pulled out my Bible and I went to 1 Corinthians 13, which people affectionately call, affectionately called the love chapter, right? And before this experience, I would go, oh, love is patient. I have an A. I'm patient. Love is kind. Who's kinder than me? <laughs> a minus, right? I mean, serious, right? But after my wife walked out, moved across the hall, because she was a homeschooling mom. She didn't have any money, but she was just like, don't touch me. Don't talk to me. If I want any stuff out of you, squeeze your head, that kind of thing, right? Um, and so I, I was like, well, it's, it's just me and me, right? And so... I, I took that list out and I went, uh, okay, love is patient, uh, F. Love is kind, uh, F. It love holds no grudges, it bears no records of wrongs, all that stuff. I just went one by one and I think the highest score I got was a C minus. And all of them are, all, all the other ones were like, so, you know, it was probably like a, a 0.7 GPA, right, on that. And then I went to, to the book of Galatians chapter 5, and, and it was where the nine fruit of the Spirit were, right? And I did the same thing. I was like, ah! Oh! <laughs> okay. Something, oh, something's not adding up Okay. Here. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. I'm a failure here, despite my best efforts, despite my best intentions. And I just turned it all over. And I said, I need your help. I need complete rewiring. And this is how this is how lovely and gracious God is. We had so many conversations and not one of them was condemning. Not one of them was condemning. He didn't let me off the hook, but not one of them was condemning. And and he uh, he said to me, as I told him, I said, I need you to I need you to scrub my hard drive and reformat it completely. And he said, no, there's some good stuff on that hard drive. Mm -hmm. He said, you are not a total loss. You never are, you never will be, but you do need some reformatting. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to back up the hard drive, but you're not going to rely on those good stuff right now. We're just going to keep it on a backup. And then I'm going to reformat your hard drive for you. And then we're going to put that stuff. We're going to restore the hard drive. We're going to load that content and that data back on. When you figure out how to let me be in charge so that you can be spirit-led and spirit-controlled instead of living out of the root of all of your insecurities. So, and, and that was kind of like the beginning. It was the end of the previous season and the beginning of the next. But we know this, right? Change happens in a moment, but transition takes time, right? So like one day you're not married. All of us at this table are married. One day you're not married. The next day you're married. But now you're in a marriage, right? Uh, one day your wife's not pregnant. The next day she's pregnant, right? But now there's a transition period. 
on and on and on. Does that, does that speak to what you were asking? That was dynamite, man. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. That, was, that was on point. And uh, I think just going back to kind of where we left off, too, of just the hard, the hard drive and basically what I always just call tools for your toolbox, you know, and how you can bust those out different stages along your life. You know, you learn things and not all of them are good. <laughs> but just because they're not good doesn't mean they're not useful. Right. 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 So well, no, that what, was perfect. What what served us, like I said, what served us in a previous season may not serve us going forward. Right. There were certain belief systems that I created or that I adopted when I was young that I needed. I needed them to make things work, but they didn't serve me with a new set of relationships because all I was doing was repeating cycles of dysfunction and, and in a very forgiving and tender moment, right before my wife and I started reconciling, I, I uh, went on this spiritual fast for a week. And at the end of those five days, I had this unbelievable breakthrough of forgiveness and understanding, forgiving of myself, forgiveness of my, of my parentage, you know, and, and the history that I came from. And, and I came to this realization and actually, this was, once again, just part of another conversation that I was having with the Lord. And he showed me a very clear picture of their parentage. And it, and it was exponentially worse than me. They had so many disadvantages that I didn't have. And I said, oh, yeah, that's why. That was really a key to my forgiveness was the understanding. I said, that's why, because they're parents. And then and really... Then I saw this in my mind's eye, a trail of people behind them, generations past. And, and once again, the Spirit said to me, well, actually, it goes back further than just your mom and dad. And I said, how far back? And he showed me whatever, a picture of what, what I would now consider the Garden of Eden. And I went, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, so it kind of goes back a long freaking way. Yeah, it goes back. It's part of our condition is in the human race, right? So you know, I think that there's, you know, I think that's the value of, you know, of story, you know, the things that, that you, you walk through, like you said, may not serve you moving forward, but it also is a light to the people coming after you, you know, and um, whether it's, you know, like the story that we've, we've told or, you know, Patty's story, the ability to walk somebody else through that somebody else doesn't have to go learn the same lessons that you learned, you know, but if you don't share them, you know, and you don't own them, then like history has a, you know, a funny way of repeating itself. And so the, you know, something that, you know, we're passionate about, you know, with, with off the leash is putting the pride back in like the hard work, you know, of like, living your life vulnerably in a way where like, you know, you can actually have a conversation with your kids about the way you grew up, you know, or about your parents' life. And so you actually get this thing within context and you're bringing understanding where you're not just telling some people like what to think, but you're helping people know how to think. And I know for, you know, for myself that you have like these, these rock bottom moments, which, you know, Patty shared in the podcast, obviously you shared those, those times when like you, you're like, Oh, life's okay. Life's okay. I'm pretty good. Like you say, like giving yourself A's, yeah. A's. Yeah, I'm pretty good at this thing. <laughs> oh yeah. And then I've got a 3.35. And then you have that moment where you're like, regardless of like what I think, like that's not the actual grade. 
you know, and sometimes it's like, for me, it was an injury, you know, Patty was like substance abuse, like, you know, be part of like the DNA or control the things that you kept you alive are not the things that are helping you to thrive now. Right. And so like, there's that, that hard stop moment where you're like, all right, who, you know, like you said, it brings you to your knees to a place where, like, who am I going to be? Um, but also like that you went through those things gives you the power, you know, to help others, help others through. And, you know, I think that that stealing the shame and guilt out of those stories and the lessons that you learn, you know, I'm just a firm believer that everybody has a story we're telling and a lesson we're teaching. Yes. Um, and that's why I like doing podcasts because it's just an open space where people actually get to share about their, about their own life and remember things that they, you know, maybe forgot about. Um, but I think like the more that we can encourage people to not throw away their lessons in the trash can, like not just to walk away from everything that they learned or everything that they've invested in. Um, and one thing that, well, let's finish that thought, like, Allowing people to see that there's no shame in that, you know, and owning those parts of your story, good, bad, or ugly. Um, like they say, like own your loss or somebody else will, you know? And so like, like you saying, like taking it to the Lord and like finding redemption in it, as opposed to like hiding it and walking away and getting deeper and like, no, I, this is, I do have an A, like you need to get your stuff together. Like I've obviously got mine together. Um, but that place of, of humility, which is, like one of the greatest factors in leadership is to say like, I don't have figured out, like I'm just getting started. I have a lot more to learn. Um, is so crucial. And I think when people see, you know, authorities that they look up to living that way, you know, it's an invitation into a better life, you know? So the things that were in the dark that were shamed or, or guilted about, you know, that person actually starts to look at their life in a moment, like you said, in a moment, looks at their life differently. Um, and that's the thing that we, we have the honor of doing as, as influential people, you know, we all have our different spheres of influence. Um, but the, the ability to find gold, you know, usually comes from, you know, from a place where, you know, God found gold in us in a place right. or oh, when man. we were in our lowest place, somebody finding gold in us. Um, and it's funny, it, sometimes it takes you getting to that rock bottom place to figure out like who really cares to go down and get you, you know, like when you're like face down, like snatching up by your shirt or like our last, last podcast, the guy snatching me out of the pool, like <laughs> just grabs you and it's like, no, I still got you. Yeah. Like I, we may have been like out of sight doesn't mean out of mind. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've created a, a thread in my life that I want to be about is always finding gold. You know, and there's a, a really good book um, by Sean Bowles called Translating God. When he's talking mm. about seeing people. That's next on my list. It, I'm finishing one by him right now. It's it's yeah. so good. And there's one thing that I really touch is like viewing people right now as if they were crossing the finish line with a trophy in hand. Like, what does that person look like completely attached to their calling, to their giftings, to like who they have the potential to be? And then every day I'm treating that person as if they're already that person. So every time, I mean, it's not unlike anything you just said about how you do your life coaching. It's like, what does God say about that person? Or what's the best version of that person I can visualize in my mind, you know? And I believe that's one and the same, you know, because that's me attaching hope to their life. And then every time they interact with me, they get a better view of themselves. 
they view themselves like Jeremy sees something in me that I don't see in myself or like, oh, Jeremy, like actually took something that I had shame in and he found like the gold in it. Like it's actually something of value, not and not something that I should hide. And, you know, I think we we created this this company around that exact idea of, you know, changing identities by putting like the value back in your life, you know, and, and living that in front of people. And, you know, everybody's in the trench. Everybody has things that they're, they're going through that are, that are difficult. Um, nobody has their life together, no matter what it looks like on the surface. Um, and so there's a lot of people who, you know, have built million dollar businesses and now they, everybody has, they're listening to them because, you know, they know how to do it. You know, that person has a key to make me money. But we, we wanted to be people who were walking out like this life in front of people, you know, and learning how to do it better on a daily basis. Um, and me and Patty were talking before and something I just wanted to ask you about was this idea of as a life coach, business coach, when you, your job is to go in and to help people figure out, you know, issues, problems, you know, create ideas, and that place when like you as an individual get put in that place where you don't have answers, you know, and that's, that's a hard place to be when you're normally the person who gets things figured out. Um, and so, you know, there's, I'm just, I'm just curious about like your process when you get to a place where you like, you can't figure something out or you have relational issues, you know, obviously it's like prayer is so important. Um, what are like the tangible things you go about like relationally and, and in your own thought process to try to figure things out on your own? You mean like for myself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, and then that's, that's one of the great fallacies of the fact of my calling, right? That I can do that for myself. Right. No, no totally. No, that's, and that's <laughs> I, so funny. I've been, my wife and I have been married almost 32 years and, uh, I want to say it was back in 2016 in a, in a moment of extreme clarity, she lovingly hit me upside the head with that with that velvet colored or velvet covered two by four <laughs> and she said so coach who's coaching the coach <laughs> and so um one of the one of the interesting that's uh, that's such a prosaic word but one one of the important things is to make sure that i'm daily also allowing myself to pull back that kimono right and be transparent and allow myself to hurt in front of other people. Uh, this, you know, comparison, right, is the seeds of, of, of uh, uh, well, put it this way. When you're comparing yourself, you're comparing the very worst that you know about yourself to the very best you see in other people. And you're right. Everybody's going through stuff. I just met with a client this morning, high-powered guy in a, in a, in a, very big company, mega billion dollar company, and probably makes four or $500,000 a year. And when we sat down, we hadn't seen each other in a few months because of busy schedules over the holidays and whatnot. And he said, um, here's what I want to talk about today. And he proceeded to tell me how all these amazing things are happening in a company. And so many of these wonderful things that have happened that have really taken the company out of a favorable, out of an unfavorable light into a favorable light and kind of saved the day were like brainchilds of his where he and his team stayed and worked through weekends and stuff like that. And all he wants is for his boss to say, thank you 
good job. I recognize you did this. Hundreds of thousands of dollars vested and bonuses that come, you know, at the end of the year. And this company just happened to have a rock solid banner earnings. Uh, 2019 earnings just came out. Huge bonus. And all he wants is his boss to say, I see you. I see what you're doing. Thank you. Good job. Right? None of us is immune to the wound. None of us is immune, and none of us is immune. In fact, he used that word. That's going to be the title of a book that I'm writing right now, The Wound. And he said that word. He said, I'm wounded. And he said, that might be a little bit of a strong word, but I'm wounded. So if I don't drink my own medicine, if I don't eat my own dog food, and remember that I am also in a place where I need, right, that iron sharpening iron, and, and that level of transparency and, and what I will call confession, right? The word confession, and especially if you grow up in certain circles, it means you think you're spilling your guts. It's really, no, confession, the word confession actually means agreement. And so it's acknowledging the truth about your current reality or situation and agreeing with it. I agree that this is true about my current condition and state. Now that I've owned it, now I can do something about it. But so, so the blame game is, is so terminally obnoxious. It's, it's absolutely noxious to success because what it's saying is, I don't own this. I'm giving it to that person. This belongs to that person. So that's like the transference of guilt, right? But if I don't own this, I also can't do anything about it. Hmm. Yeah, it's so good. And that's actually... It's been on my mind a lot because I just finished up uh, Jocko Willing's book, Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership, yeah, I read uh, that. And so, yeah, his new book that came out is the uh, Tactics and Strategies. I've not basically. read that, but I saw. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and that ownership word has, it's really challenged me a lot because it's like, you think like you're owning your life and then all of a sudden they get down to like the nitty gritty things that you're like, you don't want to take ownership of. You know, there's so many nuances to that word. Um and it's just like this no excuse approach that it's like to, to like you said, you can't do anything with it until you take ownership of it. And um, another thought that made me really ponder, I forget who was who I was listening to, but they're saying like whenever you're feeling uncomfortable, it's because you're pushing back on what is. It's like this, you know, negating of that thing exists. Um, so whether you're being defensive, it's called denial, right? right, right. <laughs> Don't even know I am lying. <laughs> yes. Right. And it's, and it's like that, like actually accepting it. Like, is there a truth to what this person's saying? Like, regardless of the vehicle that it's coming in, whether it's like somebody's really upset or they're being super disrespectful, like what actual truth is, is being held in what that person's saying. And there might, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones is usually my, you know, go to phrase for that. Um, yeah, and it's, I think there's a kind of, to go off of our last question a little bit, um, something that I've had conversations with, with different coaches, I'm obviously in like the fist, like physical fitness and wellness space with other coaches that every time I talk to somebody, they're like, oh, I thought I was the only person who thought that. Um, and the idea is like this, this kind of God complex that when you like walk away, like your job is to instruct people, give people, you know, guidance. They're coming to you. They're like, I mean, my job is pretty hands-on where I'm telling people to do something every 30 seconds to a minute. So you get used to 
hundreds of people coming to you every day, grown adults, millionaires, people think of doing whatever you say right when you say it. And, and obviously there's, that's a great feeling, especially if you're a great leader, it gets more and more and more, you know, pronounced that people are looking to you for guidance on, on any given thing. And sometimes like in a healthy way, um, it's kind of like, you know, being prophetic or, or giving what's to the Lord. It's the most humbling and empowering thing at the same exact time. Um, cause you're like, what did I do to, to be in front of this person, giving them advice, you know, and whether it's like you, like, you know, it's somebody who's making maybe billions of dollars for a company and you're like, how am I giving this person advice? You know, but when you walk away and then you step into, you know, friendships, relationships, and that person says no, or that person's frustrated with you. And you're like, you just spent the day with hundreds of people. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you, you're the best thing since sliced bread, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And it's funny because every time I talk to a, a coach about that, they look at me like I literally thought I was the only person who like thought that. Like, how come the person that loves me the most isn't like like in awe of me like everyone else? Yeah. Um, and so I mean, I don't know if you've you've ever felt that, but if you do, like what do you what do you do with that kind of idea and whether it be keeping yourself in that that humble place where you went back and you saw that like what you thought were A's were F's or D's or C's. And like keeping yourself in that humble place of constantly trying to get a little bit better than you were. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, having been redeemed from near disaster in so many ways in my life, I understand what a gift looks like. Mm. Right. And my ability. So you use the word, you know, prophetic or prophecy. Well, that's a gift. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> and how well you receive it and steward it is indicative of how effective you're going to be, especially because that's happened to me many, many times, many, many times. I mean, you're never a prophet in your own land, right? I mean, my wife is the most loyal person in the world to me. She also knows exactly exactly how full of crap I can (laughs) There's nobody in the world who will fight more viciously for me and yet knows every nasty, freaking stupid thing. She's been at the receiving end of all of that. How does yeah. that happen? <laughs> That's supernatural. That's love, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and love is also a gift, right? And so I have, I have thought that many times, though. It's like, you know, I get this guy over here who's worth X or this woman over here who's worth that or she controls this huge domain. And I'm trying to give my son's advice on whatever right and they're looking at me especially early in my career when they were younger right? that made you so mad yeah I, well i miss being in my 20s because i mean i knew everything back then right but here's the thing i've been there and they're going through it now i mean the biggest one of the biggest gifts i have is that when rebuffed i can just say hey listen everybody's got free will right so they're exercising it this way who am i to try to violate that or to get my undies in a bunch because I feel like that would just take me back to pre-2008. Hmm. Right? Ain't doing it. Ain't going there. If I'm offering a gift to somebody, whether it's advice or counsel or a listening ear, and that person rebuffs it, who still owns the gift? Me. If I offer a gift and it's refused, I still own the gift. It's still mine to give. 
But if I get my undies in a bunch over something like that, then that really, that, that's indicative of the fact that I don't understand that what I have is a gift. Hmm. That, does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. And then there's also the gratitude piece. I think if, if you, uh, one, of my, one of my greatest strengths and, and values, I think, is, is what I'll call it. One of my greatest values is gratitude. Uh, naked I came and naked I'll leave, right? Right, so what I do now in the dash, right? So born in 1966, dash, whenever that last date is, right? In that dash is, is my gift. So that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on. So you ask, how does it keep me humble? I'm not Superman. I'm one decision away from being a complete train wreck again. I'm one decision away. Thankfully, there are enough people in my life, there's enough of an acknowledgement in my life, and there's, a, and there's this, this uh, grateful posture of receiving that I keep open through, through praise and worship, through thanksgiving and associating and making myself accountable to certain structures in my life, relationships, key relationships in my life, where uh, I, I just, I'm not saying it's not a temptation, but I have my life, I would have to jettison my whole life and everything that's valuable to me to go into a place of isolation where I'm just gonna sit around and pout and quite frankly, bitch, moan, and complain, right? Mm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, and, and, and yeah, and talking about gifts, like I, I actually wanted, I've been sitting on this as well. So earlier you were talking about organizations being organisms yeah. and uh, teaching, or not teaching, but showing guidance to leaderships that have fractured organisms. And so like coming full circle around and I think you said that better than I said. I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to give you credit. I'm going to steal it and give you credit once. He really been sitting on that thing. Well, so coming around full circle and, and if there is, you know, a listener out there that is in either one of those roles, either a leader or maybe, uh, has a leader that is fractured. Do you have a go-to tip or like an ACE in the pocket that you can always kind of just a gift of advice to someone who is stuck in that situation. Maybe, I mean, going, I'm wondering what you told, uh, this big, uh, person that you met with who, you know, sometimes the answer is so simple is he just wanted a thank you. Right. But like, what's just one token that you could take away and tell someone that is stuck in a rough spot that, you know, maybe in a leadership role, doesn't know how to guide their team or as a team member that has a fractured leader, what's a place to start? Yeah. Boy, that, that is a many layered question. Very deep well, question. You have you, two you minutes. Sure you're not, so you sure go you're ahead not a coach? and knock it out of the park. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody in my space or even like in the clinical psychology space, which is a related space, but, but you know, different, uh, who will tell you that the number one cause of conflict in any organization or in family or anything like that is unmet expectations, mm. right? So my question to this guy this morning was, okay, so you're at a fork in the road now. What if she never does that for you, especially since you asked her? And you and she said, what? How how should I do that? And you told her, if you would say this, it would help. And she still hasn't done it. And so I would I would. I just real quick, yes, get external help, find somebody who can help, but then really, honestly, 
be willing to live with, uh, with the fact that you may not, that person that you are looking to meet that need may be unwilling or unable to meet that need. And where are you going to go to get it met? For me, I went right to the throne room of grace. And everything that I needed was found there. Did I have to make some sacrifices? Yes, but it was worth it, right? If I have something in my hand and God wants to give me something else, he very often asks me to put down what I currently have in my hand because it won't fit, right? Mm. So I know that was kind of a zinger, but, you know, for, for two minutes, that's what you get. Yeah. And I'll, I'll send you my bill for that. <laughs> We're actually secret shoppers. <laughs> Did you write that all down, Tyler? <laughs> right. I know that was killer. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. No, I think that's I think that's gold. Uh, well, let's have a little fun. We're gonna have ask you a, a little list of questions. Okay. And uh, we'll get you to respond as uh, you see fit. Yes. So our little uh our little bits here. We're gonna start with uh we'll say collaboration dream. If you could sit down with anybody on the planet or dead or alive, who would you like to sit down with and yeah. have a conversation? You know what? I, honestly this this will drive some people crazy and uh, George Bush, W. W. Hmm. I would love he is a lot smarter than than people think. I know people who know him personally and uh, I would just love to crawl inside his his heart and mind and talk to him a little bit about, you know, some of the things that he's seen, the tectonic nature of, of, uh, uh, America at the time, especially with nine 11. And then also how he maintains such grace under such extreme circumstances. Well, I mean, just, I'm, I'm talking, I mean, vilification. He was always really gracious. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't lash back. He was mm. always very gracious. So I would just, yeah, I'd like to have lunch with him or something like that sometime. Piece of his artwork. You have a piece of his artwork? No, I said oh. you could get a piece of yeah, his artwork. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, my wife's an artist and she's a brilliant artist. And she went, I, we had a thing in Dallas last January. Uh, and she went to the museum and I had to work. I was there for business. So oh, okay. I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> Take one for the team. Do you have a favorite athlete or figure? Gosh, you know what? Um, I don't really have a hero worship list, especially in the world of athletics, but it just came to me right now as you asked that question. I think there's a lady, she's she's not really well known, I think, by a lot of people. Her name is Sarah Robles. Hmm. You guys know who she is? I don't. She's a power lifter from uh, Utah. Hmm. And and her story is really interesting. She had to she got in the Olympics by by doing one of those crowdsourcing like a GoFundMe or really yeah something like that she raised all her own money and she got in and I, I, she won a, like a bronze or something like that nice. but just a really simple uh appropriately self-deprecating but just is always at it and my wife actually was the one that turned me on to her uh and and the woman just loves people she loves god and she loves competing and she just appeals to the, the quote unquote common man or common woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. Um, what is something that you have recently found value in, in a piece of content, like a book, a podcast, movie? Yeah. Um, well, so, so, you know, you talked about reading Sean Bowles, right? Mm -hmm. Translating God. I haven't read that one yet. I've read four or five of his other books and that one's next on my list. 
but I, I love his focus on, on love, on God's love as being the starting point for the healing of hearts, right? And uh, to me, love is the secret sauce, but it's such a mysterious thing that takes a while to, to really get down to the source of it. But that's when, you talk, when we talk about organizations and organisms, that's really what this client of mine was saying that he wanted from his boss. Show me a little love here, right? We say that it's very mm-hmm. slang, but it's a real thing that's that's missing in the lexicon uh, of of business, and that's really why we have so many problems in business because it's missing from the lexicon in business. Mm. Interesting. Um, okay, you have to fill in the blank. Is it just me or blank? Uh, my split personality, <laughs> the other side of me. I, I don't even understand. So like, so is it just me or like Patty's last week was like the, when it rains in Washington or like drivers really bad. Yeah. So, so like it could be like your pet peeve or oh, is it okay. just it like, am I the only person that thinks this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's it actually, and this is probably a really boring answer, but it goes back to the, to the last one. Uh, the last statement that I made about love being the secret sauce, I, I would be like, gosh, if we could just get that, you know, I mean, is it just me or is it easier really than, <laughs> right. than what yeah, there you go. <laughs> is the solution? Solution's not that hard, but, right. it, but yeah, it, it requires you to, you know, check your ego at the door, which of course I've never had a problem with ever. <laughs> I've never had a problem with it. So I'm a work in progress. Uh, all right. Our next one is a rant and a rave. So what, what is a rant and a rave that you have? Oh my gosh. Rant. Well, you talk about the rain in Washington. My house flooded two weeks ago because of the rain. So <laughs> oh, no. I looked at my wife and I told her what the plumber said and, and she goes, let's move. <laughs> no. Maui it is. Yeah, Maui. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, man, we love Maui. Just my, miss my island boy over here. Um, no, I, I think actually... You know, just looking at the the geopolitical scene, there's a lot of hatred and rancor out there. And I'm not a person who doesn't have beliefs, okay? But if I don't make those beliefs subservient to truth and what the master says, right? It's kind of like, you know, Joshua, you can look up the story, but Joshua sees the captain of the host and he says to the captain of the host, whose side are you on? And the captain host looks at him and goes, dude, wrong question. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So my rant is we can get along. We're going to have to have to make some sacrifices. And then, and then who's right? Wrong question. Whose side are you on? Wrong question. So that's my rant. My rave, my rave is that I have hope that that's not the end of the story. And I have this burning desire and passion, and I'm surrounded by people who have this too, so I'm not alone. But I have a burning desire and a passion to see that power of reconciliation happen. Hmm. I know it's possible, and I live with that eternal hope burning in my chest. Hmm, So good. And uh, last but not least, uh, one thing we talk about is currency. So what is your currency? It could could be money. Yeah, yeah. It could be your impact it could be grace it could be energy it could be time 
What do you think your most valuable currency as Paul Perez is? Yeah. <clears throat> that was multiple choice. Yeah. Was a, B, or C. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's right. I, Choose how, one. It's like how, all, all of the above. How, how do, you, how do, do I get this wrong, right? <laughs> Just pick one and run. So you can turn off the recorder. No, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's an understanding of the the frail nature of who we are as people and the fact that if we would grasp the responsibility to really truly love each other. And I'm not talking about wishy squishy, you know, airy fairy kind of stuff. I'm talking sometimes love is hard, right? Um but to understand that uh well, so psychological safety and trust that's rooted in the fact that, hey, listen, if you're not okay, I get it. I've been there before too, but we can get okay. So, so really it's an infusion and an injection of hope and creating psychological safety. I mean, I have, I have executives tell me, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, you know, 15 minutes into our first meeting. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I've never told anybody this before in my life. My wife doesn't even know. I didn't even know this before we started talking. (laughs) Because something that was buried deep inside, there's a a sense that it's safe here to just be me. And Mm. so it's a uh, a carry around a thin place, I guess, to, to help people understand, hey, listen, no matter where you're at, it's okay to be you here. And then let's discover who you really are. Mm. Right? So good. Trust, mm-hmm. trust. I guess, would be one word. The ability to create trust in people because I'm not all that in a bag of chips and you don't have to keep pretending you are either. Mm. That's gold. I love that. Well, before we shut this thing down, uh, tell the people where they, can, uh, where they can find you. Yeah, so I do have a website and it's actually being repurposed right now, but it's uh, www.acceleratedbreakthrough.com. Two words, accelerated and breakthrough.com. And then all my other contact info is on there as well. Awesome. And uh, Patty, your uh, lovely program. Uh, Harder to kill. Uh, we're in phase three. Um, the season starts two weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then it doesn't stop from there. So keep tuned in. Uh, I'm sure something else will be coming out shortly. Find me at, uh, at Patty Gleason on Instagram and Patty Gleason on Facebook. Awesome. And, uh, Jeremy, J-E-R underscore A-M underscore I on Instagram. And you guys always find us at Off The Leash Lifestyle Instagram as well. If you guys have any questions, please reach out uh, at Off The Leash Lifestyle at gmail.com. It's our email. Uh, we'd be happy to talk about anything you guys want to talk about. And we have some uh, fresh gear coming out as well. So shout out to Tangelo once again. Go get checked out uh, and get some free gear. And other than that, episode number seven, stay off the leash.